Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for our meditation this morning is our portion of our gospel lesson recorded for us in the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 21st chapter, verses 23 through 32, and today's sermon will focus on verses 28 to 32, but I'd like to read the entire gospel for you at this time. Please rise. When Jesus went into the temple courts, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question. If you answer it, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the crowd, since they all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. He said to them, then I will not tell you by what, uh, by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. He came to the second and said the same thing. The second son answered, I will go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Amen, I tell you. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. However, the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. Even when you saw this, you did not change your mind and believe him. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. The congregation may be seated. <clears throat> Dear fellow redeemed, in Bogart's famous work, The Hammer of God, he tells a story in which he sets in conflict a rector and his curate. Maybe you can imagine an older overseeing pastor uh, who also is now in conflict with a young pastor who's just started his, his new uh, parish and his new work. The conflict is this, the, the young pastor wonders really if the overseeing older pastor is a true believer because he questions his Christian piety especially as they sit down to dinner together and the older overseeing pastor asks his maid to bring the bottle, bottle of brandy to the meal. Then he's convinced certainly this man is not a true believer because a Christian pastor would never do such a thing. Well, the maid, kind of in agreement with the younger man, remarks this, if I had my way, this bottle would have no place in the house. I know of nothing worse than drunkenness. To which the older overseeing pastor responded, Then we are almost of one mind, Lydia. Drunkenness is next to the worst thing I know. The worst is self-righteousness. If I had to choose, I would rather be a drunk hired man at the Osterby Fair than to sit self-righteous and self-satisfied at a pious coffee party. Kind of an extreme example, but what was the older pastor's point? He's trying to show that he'd rather be the drunk if he had to decide between the two because 
the drunk could maybe more easily see the error of his way than being the self-righteous person at that coffee party. Maybe have a much more difficult time seeing that what they are doing is wrong. In God's word for us today, Jesus addresses this sin of self-righteousness and really pride as well. As we consider this story that he tells a tale of two sons, and we think of that first son who's actively rebellious, later repents and does the will of his father. And we consider the second son, the one who is passive and and says that he's going to do the work, but later is resistant to the will of his father. So one day this father calls in his first son and he asks him to work in his vineyard and That first son gives him a a blatant no. I will not do it, right? He says that to his dad's face. How bold to defy his father, to defy his will. But we hear later on that that son, as rebellious as he was, he has a change of heart. And he ends up going back to the vineyard and doing the work that his father wanted him to do. This is supposed to be a picture for us of the dregs of society and Jewish society during those days. This first son was to represent the tax collectors and prostitutes. People that were viewed very terribly in their society because of all the things that they had done wrong. By their outward sin, they were showing that they resisted and had turned against the will of God. But then later they had come to repent and believe in Jesus as their Savior, to ultimately do the will of God, the will that He has for all of us to repent and and believe. And how did this happen? Well, it happened through the preaching of God's Word, especially as we hear in our lesson for today, the preaching of of John the Baptist. And what did John the Baptist preach out there at the Jordan River? Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Those that were caught up in these outward sins, they begin to examine themselves in their own lives and they see the guilt of their sin and they confess it to God and they receive the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and they change their lives. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine a drug dealer or a gang member or a prostitute today becoming a Christian? It would be shocking to say the least, right? Someone who's living a life of crime by being so outwardly immoral, doing so much damage to themselves and to others and to society, and yet maybe because someone exposes the damage they're doing to themselves, the damage they're doing to others, how wrong it is before God, they realize the error of their way, they confess their sins and they, they receive God's forgiveness and they They change their life 180 degrees to to follow the life of the Lord wants us to live, the life of a Christian. It would be shocking, to say the least, to see such a change in someone. Could it really happen? The Apostle Paul shares such a change for us as an example in the church in Corinth. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor males who have sex with males, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, 
They're the verbally abusive, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you were those types of people, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Obviously, Paul's point by sharing those words is to encourage the Christian in Corinth not to return back to their lives of sin, but to live in their forgiveness and to live for Christ. But it does tell us kind of the background of that church and many of those members of the church. There were members of the church that had gotten caught up in sexual immorality and lived lives of promiscuity and sleeping with people that weren't their spouses. There were members of the church that had bowed down to idols and foreign gods, people that had committed adultery against their spouse, people that had engaged in homosexual acts and had homosexual desires, people that chased after drunkenness and indulgence, and people that were angry and swindlers, cheating other people. Those people, for all of the outward misdeeds they had done, many of them had come to faith in their Savior, Jesus Christ. And what does it say? They were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. They had been forgiven. Amazing change had taken place in their lives. They'd come to know God's grace and forgiveness that was even for them. Then there's the second son. The father also calls him to work in the vineyard. This son says all the right things. He says, yes, I'll go. Then he sneaks away and doesn't do the work that his father commanded him to do. Well, we maybe look at that first son and say, how could he be so bold and so harsh to his father to say, no, I'm not going to work in the vineyard. Really, this second son harms his father in a twofold way. Not only does he not do the work, and that's really what the first son was first saying, he wasn't willing to do the work, but he lies to his father's face. He tells him he's going to do the work, and then he doesn't. This, of course, is to be a picture for us of the religious leaders in Jesus' day, the chief priests and the elders. They were the ones who, by all outward appearances, were saying they were following the will of their heavenly father, but in reality weren't because they had resisted the will of God to repent of their sins and cling to Jesus Christ as their Savior. But was God's word not for them that John the Baptist not preached to them at the Jordan River? Well, certainly he did. In fact, we maybe could say that John's preaching to them was even more harsh than to the preaching that he did to those who are outwardly immoral. Remember what John said as he spoke to the religious leaders. He said, you offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, already the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. So every tree that has not produced good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Yes, John's message was even for them. A very bold and powerful message. You need to repent or else face God's judgment. But these resisted. These resisted the message. These instead took pride in themselves and their own goodness. And we hear in Luke's gospel that they were not 
baptized at the Jordan River. They did not receive a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Not only did they reject John's message, they also rejected it when they saw the change that had made in others. When they saw the tax collectors and prostitutes believing John's message and being baptized there at the Jordan, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, when they saw so many people's lives changed, they, they still refused. So again, which son did the will of his father? Which son repented and believed? Of course, it was the first. And there's a sharp warning for us in this lesson today, a sharp warning against self-righteousness and pride. A need for us all, whether we are outwardly immoral or have been at times, or, or whether we have appeared as very upright and moral in our own lives and to many people, all of us must repent of our sins and receive God's forgiveness. There was a man who sat in his church one day watching the people go up for communion. And as he did so, he saw a man who he had known years ago, a man who he had gone to school with, a man who he hadn't seen in church in a long, long time, many years. And probably the last time he saw him in church was probably Christmas or Easter. He began thinking to himself, should that man really be going up to communion? After all, it seems by his actions that he's despised preaching in God's word. He, he never comes to church at all. I, I, I bet that guy doesn't think that he's done anything wrong. And he's going up before the Lord's altar to receive the Lord's Supper. A little while later, he saw another classmate from years ago. A woman whose reputation was notorious in the community for all the various relationships we, she'd had and adultery she'd committed and the things that she had done wrong. And he began to think to himself, should she really be going up to take communion? Is she really sorry for, for what she has, has done? She's done so many very public thing, publicly wrong things and committed so many public sins that everyone knows about. So he sat there that day wondering about all of this. But as he did, then dawned on him, what if, what if they're going up to communion today because they realize their sin? What if that first classmate has realized how he's been away from the Lord's altar for so long and in sorrow over his sin has now come to receive God's forgiveness? What if the woman as well recognizing the, the huge weight of guilt that she had for the things that she had done wrong and that everyone knew about, wanted to come to receive God's forgiveness there. It really got the man thinking about himself. Do I have any sins that I'm bringing before God today? Any sin for which I need to receive His forgiveness? Are we among the impenitent? Have we merely mouthed the words of repentance? Gone through the motions of the confession of sin, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess to you all my sins and iniquities without really thinking much about specific sins that we've committed. Are the things that we have to bring before God, things that we have done wrong, to confess to Him? God wants us to, to think about those things and to do exactly that. 
But if not, perhaps we need to confess our own self-righteousness and pride. To confess uh, our, own, our trust in our own selves. To think that, that we are, are good enough and that we have done everything right that's acceptable in, in God's sight. Maybe have looked down on other people for the sins that they've committed, thinking they need to repent without realizing our own. Was there hope for the self-righteous individuals in our lesson for today? Is there hope for the religious leaders that Jesus was speaking to? By all means, yes. Now, one striking thing to consider is that Jesus is telling this story for them. Jesus wanted them, these self-righteous men, these men filled with so much pride to see their sin He doesn't write them off as being impossible cases. They'll never believe. They'll never see their sin. They'll never trust me as their Savior. No, instead, he shares this story because he wants them to see their sin. He wants them to repent, and he wants them to cling to him for forgiveness. The man witnessing communion that day had come to see that so many others he had judged wrongly. And perhaps they were coming to communion, not in arrogance over the sins they had committed, but in humility, wanting to receive God's forgiveness. And that day, he admitted to God his own, his own pride, his own self-righteousness. And that day, he received God's forgiveness on his very tongue. And he was assured that God had forgiven even him, had been filled with so much pride and so much condescension for others. What a joy it was to know that God's forgiveness was even for him and even for his sins. He clung to Christ. Tale of two sons, one outwardly rebellious, one passively resistant. Which one was it who did the will of his father? The one who repented and believed. Which is it better for us to be, a a drunk at a fair or a self-righteous person in a coffee party? I'd say neither. neither. It's better for us to recognize our sin, whether they are sins that have been done publicly or sins privately. For all of us to recognize our sins, whether, whether outwardly done against God's commandments or maybe even sins of pride and self-righteousness, to confess them to the Lord, to know that he forgives us for Jesus' sake. Amen. I invite the congregation to please rise. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen. I invite you to remain standing as we sing our next hymn. We sing hymn number 42. <laughs>